Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jim O'Hara is an actor and comedian best known for co-starring as Jerry Gergich on the NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation. He's a Chicago guy who trained at Second City in the 1980s, then thrived in an independent improv and sketch group called White Noise, which took him out to Hollywood in the 1990s. O'Hara has enjoyed tons of small guest-starring roles on TV since the 1990s before landing his big break with Parks and Rec. Now he's hosting Lullaby League, an acapella singing competition that debuted this April via YouTube and Pop TV. So let's get to it. <laughs> so, Jim O'Hare, uh, thank you for joining me uh, on this press route for Lullaby League. Yes, thank you. Happy to be here. Which, I have to tell you, I watched the sizzle reel, and I wasn't sure <laughs> what I was watching. How, when they pitched this to you, what did you, what did you think? Uh, I didn't know what to think. I'm not even a guy with kids. And this is basically, it, it's a competition show about acapella groups singing children to sleep right so i'm a guy who happily doesn't have children so like i'm not into the screaming and the hollering and all the stuff the kids do so um i had lunch with a guy named peter putka who's works with uh, scary mommy uh who produced this okay. and he's an old friend and he said i have this idea and i said it sounds crazy uh but different i of course i love different um I love hosting stuff just by nature. I'm kind of a chatterbox, so that sounded fun. Okay, and uh, we did a we kind of did like a kind of like a mini pilot, I guess you'd call it. And I had a blast. And then they called and said, "We have interest. Do you want to make this real?" I said, "Yeah. I mean, if, if it's fun like the thing we just did, why not?" <laughs> so. Here I am. But you weren't an acapella guy in high school or college. No, no, no. I wish I could sing. It's, it, it's uh, you know, people say regrets. And I, it's regret I have no control over, but I cannot sing. And people are like, well, you have such a deep, you mm-hmm. know, voice. But Well, it does not turn into good sounds when oh. I connect, to, you know, notes. But <laughs> um, but I love acapella. I love I love barbershop. I love acapella. Because, um, you know, I'm 56 now, and... I've never been into like the hard rock kind of stuff. So I'm an easy listening kind of guy, okay. music wise, and uh, that's what acapella is. And these groups are amazing. I mean, they're really, really good. And it's a full blown real life competition where they had to compete to put these babies to sleep, and the winner gets a recording contract. I mean, it's like a. I know when Peter presented everything to me, I'm like, wow, we can make this happen. He goes, we can make this happen. I do remember uh, when I was a newspaper reporter in the 2000s, there was a label that put out lullaby versions of rock bands. Really? Yeah. Oh, that sounds well. Actually, I bet I would like so, that. So, like Metallica, but all. Oh, my gosh. All lullaby versions. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I can see lullaby Barry Manilow, but Metallica, mm-hmm. that seems a little. <laughs> now, you were, you were a DJ when yeah. you were young. What kind of stations did you work at? Uh, the first station I ever worked at, uh, well, the first station ever that even got me interested was mm-hmm. WLUW, which was Loyola's University's station in Chicago. And it literally went to like a two-block area. You know, like it, the signal was nothing. But 
I remember thinking, this is really cool. Like, this is fun. And they kind of let you do whatever you wanted to do. They were just looking for people to fill time. Okay. So, so it was uh, less pressure than the basketball program. Much less, well, especially this year. God bless. But, hey, we did great. Was the sister? Uh, so the sister was there when you she, were there? I didn't know her, but she okay. must have been there. God knows she must have been there. Oh, that boy, what a yeah. year she's had. <laughs> okay, mean, but when really. you were there. But when the I was there. Um, early 80s? Early. I graduated high school in 80, so yeah, it would have been beginning. Yeah, 80, going okay. into 80. And uh, really, the, the, the audition was, are you free? <laughs> Do you have a couple hours that you can devote to the station? Because that's all it's going to take. And I did it. And I just remember thinking it was really fun. And I... Um, Again, they let you do what you wanted to do. So I ended up uh, going to a place called the Midwest Broadcast Academy, and they taught you how to put a reel together and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I did all that, and at the end of it, then you just start sending it all over the country. And this, we're talking in the days, you know, now it's all so digital and everything is electronic and so easy to right. get. This is in the days of snail mail, and, you know, I'm editing with razor blades and tape. I mean, this is... We're t- I know we're talking. Did you old watch? Days. Did you watch WKRP in Cincinnati? Of course, and I've met Gary Sandy a couple of times. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Love that show. Yeah. Which, who did you identify with on that? show? Well, probably uh, certainly not Gary Sandy. Uh, probably Johnny um, Fever. <laughs> nah, probably not Johnny Fever either. Uh, um, I hate to say Les Nessman. <laughs> That's terrifying. But, well, better Les probably, than her. Well, 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 well yeah. Uh, Oh, gosh. But see, here's the thing. The station, the first station mm-hmm. I ever worked at was W-R-I-N-W-L-Q-I. And this was this little... <laughs> That's too many call letters. It was, well, because it was an AM-FM. Okay. And you had to work both sides. So I made $120 a week, and I worked about 60 to 70 hours. It was crazy. But you also had to sell airtime. So, like, in oh, a way, right. I, I was a little, little bit of Herb Tarlick. Right. Uh, it was just one of those... But I never, I swear to you, I never dropped turkeys out of a helicopter because i have always known the turkeys cannot fly no matter what you've heard is that one of the all-time greatest bits ever on television i think of all time i mean it's in the top certainly in the top five would what parks episode would you put up against it oh wow wow that's a tough one i know um Oh boy, dude, you are you are catching me on that. Sorry. Well, just because that moment of them walking in and and and, <laughs> and Mr. Carl, what's his name, the boss, Mr. Uh, uh. Saying, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. I, mean, I don't know that there's a the parks ever had that sentence <laughs> that equaled that sentence. Right. That's amazing. No. What was his name, Mr. Uh, Oh, that, see, this is what age does. Well, there's Venus Flytrap. There's Jennifer, the receptionist. Yeah. And then Johnny Sunshine, Johnny Fever. Miss, Mr. Tarlick? No, no, that's her. her. Yeah. Carlson? Mr. No. Mr. Carlson. Yes. Yeah. I think that's it, Mr. Okay. Carlson. Yeah. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Pity we didn't uh, stop tape to look yes, it up. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so I, I ended up at the station, W-R-I-N-W-L-Q-I, mm-hmm. in Rensselaer, Indiana. And it um, was... I don't know if the word podunk is correct, but like our prizes, we would give out a six-pack of Pepsi. Oh. Dude, that was the prize for if you called in and won something. But the scarier part is these people would drive in miles from 
God knows where they were coming to get their six pack of Pepsi. And the guy who ran the place was such a sleazy uh-huh. SOB mm-hmm. that he he got the Pepsi donated. He would take it home. So these poor people would drive all this way mm-hmm. in this rural town for the Pepsi, and it's not even there because he's taken it all home. I mean. It was lunacy. I learned a lot. But I also say, as, as tough as it was, and it was, it was really tough, um, lessons that I'll never forget. And really, uh, I paid my dues. I paid a lot of dues. Did you think at the time that you would have a full career in radio? I had hoped that that's what I, would, I was going to do. And as time went on, and I really enjoyed it. I just totally enjoyed it. But then I had a weird... Uh, to this day, I don't know who it was. I don't know anything, but I got a call one day. The secretary said, somebody wants to talk to you off air. Hmm. Okay. And it's a little town, so th- right. th- 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 that could be anything. Um, could be about coming to visit the Rotary Club. It, it absolutely could have been that kind of thing, yes. Or, Jim, your check bounced at the Hy-Vee or wherever the, <laughs> I was trying to you know, buy my groceries. Um, and some guy said hi, and I, I don't remember his name. He said, I drive through here all the time. I work at uh, Second City in Chicago. I, I like your your uh, banter, blah, blah, blah. You know, you should consider doing that type of, you know, if you're ever in Chicago area and you have time, take some classes, some improv and all that kind of stuff. So, whatever. Thank you. Nice phone call. Life goes on. About a year later, I leave the station because it really was, like, the owner would punch holes in walls. It was the... It was craziness, absolute craziness. And you needed your Pepsi. And I needed a Pepsi, and it was gone, <laughs> damn it, because he drank it. So I uh, I got out there, and I that call stuck with me. There was something about that. And I went to Chicago, and I started taking classes at Second City, and that changed everything because I knew the minute, the first laugh I got when I went on stage. And, and literally, you're on stage at the... Original Chicago Second City, where Belushi and Bill Murray and everybody stood. That's where you have your class in the old days. It's all different now. There's a training center. but uh, And I remember getting that first laugh and just a moment of, damn, I like this. I like this. And, and something said to me right then there, this is what I want to do. Never thinking it would pay my bills. So acting had never been anything other than a pipe dream kind of thing. What do you remember about your first class at Second City? Uh, I just remember being scared to death. Because you know, improv is uh, scary. It's you're, Everyone's afraid to make a fool of themselves. And that can easily happen in improv. As a matter of fact, it mostly happens in improv. You had plenty of on-air experience. Well, I had Even that. Even though it was a small and, town, it still counts. And I'm and I'm good with the banter, you mm-hmm. know. But improv is different. You know, you're in a, in a situation. And I just remember being up there, and uh, a lot the class was mixed up. There were lawyers in the class. I didn't know. It all seemed odd. Well, as it turns out, a lot of people take improv classes just to learn how to be in front of people. Right. Like lawyers or potential lawyers. They weren't all trying to be in show business. No, actually, I would say less than half were trying to. And uh, one of them, as it turns out, turned into some superhero, some TV superhero. And now I can't think of his name. Chris Pratt. Years ago. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't, uh, that name I don't know. That name I've never heard. Uh, <laughs> yes, Chris Pratt. I can't, oh, I can't think of this guy's name. Uh, but, no, but so I just remember being up there. And I forget what the scene even was, but hearing the classmates laugh and the teacher laughed. And I just really got a very warm, wonderful feeling from that. And the more classes I took, it just stuck. Oh, I got the bug. But but that that kind of class, that's not taught by Adele Close. 
No. That's, those uh, are taught by... Well, Martin DeMott taught my first class. Okay. And um, some would say, certainly, I know people like Joel Murray and others would say, kind of a genius, Martin. I passed away many years ago. Uh, but he... Um, you know, because there is uh, improv is an art form. Like it, it's you don't just get up there and say stuff. There's you, to, you learn how to say it, uh, how to help your others. It's a group sport. It's not a one man job. That's why people are always like, "You must do stand up." No, no, no. I think that's <laughs> terrifying. That's terrifying. At least with improv and acting, I have other people with me. Although you did play a stand up in a movie recently. I have. I did play stand up in a movie, and my scariest scenes to shoot were the stand up scenes because I was alone. Even though it was just even, delivering lines. Even though it was just delivering lines. It's, uh, I am a... I, I love ensemble. I love working with other actors. I love it. I just... Um, I find it comforting <laughs> that I can turn to someone else. Uh, maybe it's a bit of, you know, a little uh, wussing out, you know, but um, I love it. And so, and for me, acting... The greatest thing with acting is when people connect and, you know, just their eyes are connecting and it's just, ugh, I love all that. Now, when you were starting out with Second City in the mid-80s, was that, did you go there before or after they had that big 25th anniversary? Oh, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before. were you there for that? No, to see everybody come I wouldn't back? have been one of the ones considered to be invited. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I was I, And I never actually worked for Second City. I just trained with them. Right. And then I did an offshoot of a comedy group. Kind of five other people like me. Did you did you try to try out for the main stage? I never even tried out. No, it, because I immediately got involved with this comedy group called White Noise. Okay, and we just gelled, and that has been. That's why I'm sitting here today. How d- how does that happen? You're training at Second City. Yeah. Who's on the main? Who was on the main stage then? Oh God, Corral was there. I was going to uh, say that was Corral Colbert, uh, Ruthie Rudnick, Colbert, um, uh, Fran Adams, uh, Dave Pasquese. Uh, oh gosh, uh, people I just O'Malley, um, Michael O'Malley, people who to this day I just. I feel like I bow down to them and their their work. So how do you make the decision then when you're training there and you're watching that main stage yeah. cast to go do a separate thing? Well, the, the who tr- are these people who did you convince them or did they convince you to to do white noise? Uh, they kind of convinced me. Okay. Uh, they were in a separate class. Mm. And uh, for some reasons, I don't know, I had work or something. I had to make up some classes. I'm, I went into their class. And I kind of gelled with these people. So it's like, come into our class. Come into our... I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, so ultimately I did it. But it is weird because at Second City, it's uh, um, you get pulled, you know, especially if they see something special or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never stuck around long enough, and maybe I wouldn't have got pulled, so who knows anyway. Um, but I, you talk about how things are meant to be because I'm sure at the time I would have done anything for them to say, you've been chosen, <laughs> come here, you know, uh, and I don't think I'd be here today if I had done that. I think the path I ended up taking was what led me to uh, the work I've done, which has been a blessing. What kind of stuff did you do with White Noise? Well, we did crazy stuff. We did, uh, well, you know. <laughs> Is that we, code from marijuana? Well, that, crazy? that, that crazy <laughs> stuff at 420. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, Let's get we, small. Oh. we did. Um, we were an improv group, but then we we pretty much turned into a sketch group. Okay, 
and uh, so our, our material was written, and we were doing stuff. And this is going to sound crazy now because it'll sound like well, big deal. But remember, this is mid to late eighties in we, Chicago. In Chicago, we did a show called Book of Blanche. So we had it where the actors would run off stage at one point during the show. And as, as each character ran off stage, they would turn it into a cartoon on a video monitor. Hmm. Now, nowadays, that, no one would think anything of that. But in the mid-'80s, it was not done. It right. was not done. So we were very low-tech. Yeah, yeah. And or no-tech. No-tech, yeah. We had an animator who did... I mean, so we were doing some crazy stuff. And to be honest, and thankfully, we became the group to see. You know, people... The word got out, oh... Was White Noise have a new show coming? Did you have what a home theater, or did you move The Roxy. Around? Okay. The Roxy in Chicago. The greatest place, which is gone, but oh, my God. Still in contact with those people. What uh, neighborhood was that in? Uh, what would that be? It was on Fullerton near, um, oh, gosh, near the expressway. I don't know. What ex- okay. uh, I don't know. I don't know what neighborhood you would call that. North of the Vic? Oh, uh, s- south of the Vic. Put oh boy! Of, like, north of the loop. Oh no, definitely north of the loop. Yeah. Okay. So there's a yeah somewhere whatever, somewhere in between there. Okay. Near the uh, the Kennedy. So we were doing these shows there, and it really we became the group to see like what are they going to do next. So our first show was called Singing in the Brain. Our second show was Book of Blanche, which was a full blown musical. Even though I can't sing, but it was a full blown musical with animation and dogs there were dogs and i mean it was crazy then what changed it all patrick cannon one of our guys in our group said i wrote this thing years ago mm-hmm. and i want you to play this role of uh boobman um frank boobman and it's about this janitor who lives in a who works at a genetics factory and his job is basically just to incinerate the mistakes at the genetics factory so ultimately it's an adult puppet show because the these things come to life okay and dude i will tell you it was the coolest craziest show that i had ever seen and i take no credit other than i was in it pat wrote it uh so we did a run in chicago turned into late nights we would do a regular show then a midnight show then we had to move theaters because it got so crazy. I was doing another show for another theater at 8 o'clock, and we'd go to do a midnight show. I'd pull up. They'd be lined up around the building wearing my costume that I oh, wore. Wow. And, I mean, it became this cult, crazy cult thing. It was called Stumpy's Gang. And Stumpy was this this pathetic little creature <laughs> who, and, and Frank was crazy, my character, the, mm-hmm. the janitor. And so instead of incinerating them, he created a puppet show. But these puppets would bleed, and they, I mean, it was the craziest thing. I swear, I had never seen anything like the it. The kind of thing to see at midnight. They, it, it total, once we went midnight, it was lunatic. You know, people showed up half How the long bag did and, you do it? Oh, my God. I would think a year, I think it went a year, and Pat said, We're out to lunch one day, and he goes, What do you think about bringing this to LA? You know, and of course, as an actor, you're L.A. Oh, the you know the forbidden lows, scary, scary. But yet, you want to try it. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody talks about pilot season and right. all this stuff. So you're like, well, Pee Wee's Playhouse became a uh, thing, exactly. But th- th- this is Pee Wee's Playhouse on acid. I mean, this was that mm-hmm. different. But I said, uh, yeah, none of us are getting any younger. 
And we did a, um, we actually kind of crowdfunded, now that I look back, but we didn't call it that at the time. We put together a packet and we got investors and we raised some money and we came out to L.A. and got a theater and our plan was a six-week run and then my plan personally was then I would, it would six weeks was going to lead us into the holidays. I'll go back to Chicago for the holidays and then come back and try this pilot season that I've heard about. What year was that? Uh, 94. Okay. So we get there uh, I landed August 4th, 1994, into L.A. Didn't know a damn thing. I didn't know anything. It, you know, it wasn't my turf. We opened uh, the end of September, and our six-week run went until March. So, because it took off there, too, which changed everything for me. Where did you? Where did it run? A place called the Zephyr Theater on Zephyr. Melrose. Okay. Yeah, and it was the perfect, it was just, because Melrose is kind of this hip, kind of cool little area, blah, blah, blah. And we had, like, to get in the theater, you had to spin a giant Twinkie, which makes no sense until you see the show. But you had to spin a giant Twinkie mm-hmm. to decide what you're even paying to get in. Uh, and so it be, it, the same thing that happened in Chicago. They're lined up around the building. They're wearing my, I had to wear this little beanie with a propeller on top. People would be have propellers on their heads. It was crazy. And we had people in the first couple rows had to have the plastic on them because of the blood splattering when I hit the ground. Yeah, I mean, it was nuts but what it did for me was it got me agents and managers and when right, you, you get, get tell, some eat a little heat on it you. got the heat so you know because you get to la the toughest part is getting representation you know people no one wants to take your call mm-hmm. well they were calling me which was unexpected totally unexpected um but then all of a sudden i have representation and all of a sudden i start working i got a pilot my first season um, so it, it changed everything. Stumpy's Gang is uh, white noise and Stumpy's Gang. Again, it's my career. It's why I have a career. Did Did you guys ever try to pitch Stumpy's yes. Gang as a TV Com- show or a movie? Yes, or a- Comedy Central. God, we had meetings all over the place. Interest, interest, interest. I guess Crank Anchors was around. Yeah, was that around then? We're talking mid nineties now. Maybe uh, maybe before Crank Anchors. Maybe before. Yeah. But, uh, oh, God, we did presentations. I would dress up as Frank Boobman and go mm-hmm. into these pitches. Uh, nothing ever came of it, though. You know, interest, oh, show us this, show us that, and then all of a sudden nothing happens. Uh, yeah, well, it's funny. I haven't thought of those days and ages, but, yeah, I would go into pitches dressed as this janitor character mm-hmm. with this damn beanie on my <laughs> God, I have no pride. Literally no pride. Do you, put, do you post those pictures for Throwback Thursday? No. No, no, no. Actually, online there is pictures of me with the puppets. Okay. Yeah, you can find those. Um, Crazy. But you were able to get pretty steady work over the years. Yeah. I mean, not big stuff, but I, I never, guest starring yeah. in a few TV shows a year, every I, year. I was the king of the guest stars. Yeah. I uh, I think it was, um, I don't know, Fallon or one of them said, what show have He goes, it'll be easier to figure out what show you haven't been on. Because I really did become like... I guessed it on this, guessed it on that. And that's all great. And it pays your bills. It gets you insurance. It, it's fine. Uh, and I was blessed and thrilled to get it. But then a show like Parks, literally, to quote Rob Lowe, literally changes everything. Because you've got, you go from what's the next gig, you know, auditioning to try to get the next gig, to being on a show that 
number one, you know that, wow, I'm going to do 20-something this year. <laughs> okay. Right. So well, Parks, but Parks was one of those rare cases where it started with a lot of buzz because yeah. it was an quote-unquote spinoff, not a spinoff of The Office. Of The Office, right. But then the first season was only six episodes, and yeah. then it completely sort of flipped because between the, seasons one and two. Yeah. How did that impact you? or what? Well, you, first of all, for me, it was all, first of all, as far as to, to comment on what you're saying, that's exactly what happened. Amy had just had a baby. She'd just come off of SNL. I mean, and she... She was on SNL, I think, until almost the moment that bit, you know, yes. she was delivered. I mean, it was, she was there till the very end. So she has the baby. Uh, so, but now she's the hot property because she's available because she's leaving SNL. So they have the show idea for her, the spinoff of The Office. And uh, so we never did a pilot. We never, you know, a pilot is where you work things out. You figure out what characters are. NBC apparently just said, do six of them. Just start shooting. She was just getting over having the baby. Let's start doing this. So they never, ever intended for Amy's character, Leslie Nope, to be Michael Scott, the female Michael Scott. That was never the intention. And yet, when they looked at the first six, it kind of looked like that. Right. She was more bumbling. Yeah. Uh, or kind of like a cross between him and Dwight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, that's a good, yeah. I think Not that makes sense. someone to root for. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. And what, uh, what was Jerry? Like well, Jerry first... didn't exist. I mean, he so, existed. So when I auditioned, I auditioned for Ron Swanson. Mm-hmm. Everybody did. It was the sh- I mean, the talking. There was you know certain shows that have a lot of heat. Right. Amy Poehler, and at the time, I think it was the Untitled. Amy Poehler Project. Amy Poehler Project. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it had a name. And so I went in like everyone else for read for Ron Swanson. Uh. And, and and what I always tell young younger people starting out, never go in unprepared because you don't know what you don't know who's in the room, you don't know what other projects they're working on, you don't know what. Anyway, so I went in thinking they're never going to give Jim O'Hare uh, this role uh, against Amy Poehler. They're going to go for more of a name, whatever. But I went in there, did my best, and I did something to connect with them because then they called a couple weeks later and said, "Would he consider coming in for this other role, Jerry?" So I go, I do that, and, uh, you know, I'd been around long enough. You let them go. After the audition, you have to let it go. Otherwise, you'll just go crazy. <laughs> you, you, know, you do it a couple times in your head when you're driving home. You re- relive the audition, and then you have to let it go. So a couple weeks later, I get a call. My manager goes, oh, they want to, they want to book you on uh, that Amy Poehler show. I said, what role? Like, I literally didn't know what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> so anyway, it was Jerry. And, and the story goes... Uh, Jerry didn't exist when they were, you know, there were six main people in the cast okay. that we had to get to know. Amy, uh, Rashida, Paul Schneider, Nick Offerman, Aubrey Plaza, and Aziz. Aziz. So those are the six. Mm-hmm. But they also knew they had to fill out a an office. So you and Retta and Me Aubrey. and Retta. It, well, Aubrey was one of the main ones at first. She was one of the regulars. Okay. Oh, yeah. They they have great stories talking about that. The casting director called Mike and said, there's this weird girl here. You've got to see her. And Mike would tell you, he's afraid of her to this day. I mean, she is just, she's awesome. Uh, but intimidating. She really is intimidating in a fun, scary, intimidating way. Which but, explains her role on Legion. There you go. Yeah. Which... But enough about her. Enough Let, about her. But I will say this. Her role in Legion. No Emmy nominations for that work. 
please. Let's don't even go they, down. They that don't road. give Emmys to just I anybody. Know. Well, she's not just they anybody. They did give one to you. Uh, well, you know, as they do, <laughs> sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it right. So, but the role, <laughs> but the role of Jerry had. Well, so so my agent called and said, "Well, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's going to happen, uh, but they want to. You know, apparently, Greg Daniels said to Mike Shore, he's funny. Put him in a desk. It'll work out. <laughs> this is what Mike tells. So that's the story I've heard. So." But my agent said, we want you to really consider this because you might feel like an extra and you've been around too long to be, and nothing against extra work, but I had long passed doing something like that. But to me, it was a no-brainer. These are the people who created Stanley's and uh, Phyllis's from The Office. So I'm like, that's how they started us. To me, it was a no-brainer. I get what they were doing. They were like, just so you know, there might be episodes where you're not doing much. And I said, no, this seems like a no-brainer. And, uh, so you were completely on board. Come, I was on board, even not knowing what Jerry was going to be. Didn't know. They didn't know. And one of the things that solidified my job there, I found out later, was I got a call one day saying, uh, "We have to do. Some, they have to do some filler. There's no one around. Can you go and do some improv with Amy? And uh, we're just going to run the cameras." Mm-hmm. So Amy and I and some kids went into this little forest area and we just played. And apparently the producer said, "Okay, he can keep up." You know, with Amy, Mm because that's a tough act to follow. Um, So they liked me, but what changed everything for me was Dan Gore, who's now the showrunner on Brooklyn Brooklyn Nine-Nine, came up with the bit where we're going to, we're playing a game, uh, we're in the office playing a game of finding dirt on each other. And Jerry doesn't want to play. He's all nervous about, like, oh, this can hurt feelings and stuff. And at at the end, I say to Paul Schneider, well, I hear someone's got two unpaid parking tickets, like big deal. And he goes, oh, really? And then I'm paraphrasing, but something about, yeah, well, um, I heard your adopted mother smokes pot. And he could see my face like, he goes, you didn't know she smoked pot? And I go, I didn't know I was adopted. And that's when they realize that's who Jerry is. <laughs> He's the guy who just doesn't really know what's going on all the time. And that, I, I see, you know, I, I did a couple of Brooklyn's last year with Dan, and he knows I... He'll always be like, well, it would have been something. I go, mm-hmm. I know, but that's what it turned into. And thank you. Yeah, because that's, I, it kept me on the show for seven years, I believe. So even even though a lot of times you were the butt of the joke in the yeah. office and the, getting your name wrong. Absolutely. Here's the thing. Oh, yeah, he's also here. <laughs> well, he's... The, the other people in the office. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you meant someone else is here. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, yeah, like, oh, we have company. Um, oh, yeah, no, totally the butt. That being said, anytime Jerry needed them, they were there. So ultimately, he was part of their crowd. You know, like every, like Ron says, every office needs a shlemiel and a shlemazel. Jerry happened to be both. But then they, but then they wrote a twist later where it turns out that you're actually much cooler than everybody else. Well, I'm the best. I'm the, I do everything. Well, Mike said, Mike Shore, who co-created with Greg Daniels, said, if we want to keep Jim around, we can't, it can't all be negative because this guy would blow his head off. Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry. If he, there was, he really was Jerry. And so the talk, he was like, let's give him a family life. And Amy had actually pitched, him, I thought, a funny bit where... Um, you know, what if I go home and my wife is this scrawny, little nervous smoke because I'm this tyrant at home or something? But Mike's like, no, no, no. It's got to be, he's got to have amazing stuff in his life. So they ultimately gave me the best life of any of them. 
I mean, literally the right. best life of any of them. Jerry, and they were important to him. Jerry, those coworkers are absolutely important to him, but not more important than his family, his wife and his girls. Yeah. That's his world. And his little trips to Muncie and all of his, you know, that's, that's what was important to Jerry. And when, I, when Amy, when we were getting ready to do the finale, Amy said to me, did you hear what they're thinking about your storyline? I said, I haven't heard anything. And she started telling me, I started getting weepy eyes. I mean, because they really gave me the best possible ending for a character. I, you know, I, a lot of people are like, so w- w- what would you have done different if you were writing? I said, not a damn thing. They nailed it. They nailed it. So how do you, how do you feel looking back? That of all the things you've done, you get you finally get the Emmy, and it's for <laughs> being a guest on a guest soap opera. A so- which, uh, to this day, I, I remember getting the phone call that I was even nominated. I go for what? Like I, I, I had no concept of this, and uh, I was in a car actually going to the airport to head to Chicago to shoot something, and I get a call from Brad Bell or somebody Bell. I'm like. Who this is? Well, he's the from the Bell family of all the soaps, uh, and they were lovely. And he said, "Congratulations on your nomination." So I'm like, "Okay." Then I'm thinking it's my friends, you know, pranking me. <laughs> so while I'm talking to him, I'm googling shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Damn, I have been nominated <laughs> for this Emmy." You know, you were on the well, show. I know, but you know. <laughs> so, um, but never, ever, ever thinking they would give it to me never and then even at the, the day of the the show i had other plans so i said to the driver here's the deal dude the minute they do my category mm-hmm. i'm gonna do the old clap nicely for mm-hmm. the w- winner when they move on to the next category i'm gonna sneak out uh, i had friends doing sh- a show at uh, you know wendy liebman yes wendy was doing a show with craig shoemaker Okay. At uh, Vitello's. And I said, I yeah, got that's it. her show that she that's started. Her yeah, but her and, her and Craig did a separate, it was a separate Sunday show, okay. the two of them did. Mm-hmm. She does her Tuesday shows. Yeah. Um, and uh, I said, I, I just want to go see this. And that, that was the plan. And then, uh, what's his name? King. Um, you know, the interviewer. Uh, Larry. Larry King. Because <laughs> the winner is Jim O'Hare. I what? I, I really, I, and you, if you see the clip, I, I just, all that went through my mind is, oh my God, that sounds so familiar. But truly, not ever. And then the girl next to me from the show is like, <gasps> and she's like kind of staring at me. I'm like, and then I'm like, motherfucker, I just won this. I'm screwed. Because number one, I don't, I haven't prepared anything. Because this is ridiculous like, that they would give this to me. So I traipse up there and as I'm going up to them, I'm like, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. Always have something on it. And I, I literally just said, just talk from your heart. I know, because it was lovely. I mean, what a... You are a, a professionally trained improviser. I, I, there, thank you very much. Yes, I am. And it is lovely. I mean, it's a, it's an Emmy. I was like, wow. So I get up there and then I, you know, because what I learned, I'd never done soaps. I didn't know It's, it ain't easy what those people do every day. And I literally bowed down to them. I said, this is for all the actors, and I did this little bow, and I meant it because they do a lot of work in a short period of time. You know, I'm used to working on a 30-page script over five days. These people are doing 60 pages a day. I, I, I don't know how. Mm-hmm. I don't, 
they they say they learned it's a muscle, blah, blah. Well, God bless them because I can't imagine what these people do. And it's a shame, but it's, you know, soaps are looked at differently than other shows. And it's just how it is. But anyway, so it was very exciting. And I never got to their show that night because now I had to stay and do press. Right. Yeah. And get the damn award. Get the damn award. (laughs) It is funny because ultimately... No one's when people say, "Oh, you won an Emmy," people immediately think I won it for Parks because people don't follow what you do. Like, oh, I remember when you won that. Oh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. What episode was it for? Oh, well, you remember. <laughs> Crazy. Do you tell them what episode? Yes. Well, then Before I'll say it wasn't for Parks. Wait, what, <laughs> what was your guest arc? Uh, and I did another one. Uh, me and Monica Haran. Do you know who Monica is? No. She played. She was on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Okay. She played Brad Garrett's wife. Oh, okay. Husband of uh, Phil Rosenthal, who created Everybody Loves Raymond, and they brought us in as a bit, like as a visual bit. Here's Jerry and whatever her character mm-hmm. from. So we're these obnoxious passengers on a plane. We're like the worst. You don't want to sit next to us on a plane, and. I feel what happened was when people went to vote, mm-hmm. it was just so nice to see something that wasn't crying or raging. Like, you know, it was funny. Right. And I think. You weren't like the evil twin. Who I wasn't look an like evil twin. twin. But you know what broke my heart? The girl, the woman, uh, Nicole, you know who Nicole Michelle is? Yes. Um, from Star Trek and all that mm-hmm. stuff. She was up for it too because they mix men and women oh. together. And they show her clip, and she's saying goodbye to her son because she's dying. I'm like, well, give her the award. We're done here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they give to me, and they cut to her, which I didn't know this at the time, but friends are saying, you got to see this clip. Oh, no. They cut to her, and people are consoling her. I'm like, oh, Lord, I just took this damn award away. She, how can I give it to her? But it's on my mantle, not hers. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, <laughs> like you've said, show business is crazy. Tough business. Tough biz. So what, what would you tell that 20-something person coming up in Chicago now? Um... Based would, on all your the things you've learned, based on my lifelong experiences, um, uh, I truly mean this. And parents won't want to hear this if you have kids who have this. But if it's in your gut and in your soul, um, I had friends who would say they want to be stars, and I, I I didn't really get that. I mean, I get it, but I'm like, so it's not about the work; it's about what could come with the work, the fame and the fortune, blah, blah, blah. Never, ever, ever did I think there would be fame or fortune. And not that I have tons of either, but I'm just saying, I love acting. I love being on a set. I love the process. I love table reads. I love getting a script and figuring out what I'm going to do with it. I love it. It's in me. This will happen till the day I die. Whether I'm paid for it, who the hell knows, time will tell. Um, so if it's in your gut, you have to give it a shot. You just do because you. And, and I always tell people, it doesn't have to be. Don't quit your job if you got a good job. There's community places to do this. Community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just tell, but I would also say if you're in it just for the, for a better word, the Kardashian fame and fortune, which I, please, <laughs> uh, it's too rough of a business. I wouldn't do it. But if you have no other choice. 
then give it your all and always, always, always be prepared. Every audition, you don't know who's in that room. You don't know. You don't know what they're going to be, what their next project is. You don't know who they are. Uh, I've had, I've gotten calls for jobs that I didn't get, but then they remembered me down the road and brought me in for something else that I did get. So I would just say, if you if it's in your gut, you got to give it a shot. If it's just kind of like, eh, I could kind of think that's fun. No, it's too tough. It's, I wouldn't suggest it. I'm pretty genius-like, aren't I? Are you sitting here going, he is sage. He is just fucking sage. It's, it's like a lullaby. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like a lullaby. I'm, I, he's putting me to sleep, just like Lullaby League does with those babies. Well, there's a lot of crying babies in show business. Oh, so. dude. I've so, been I've been that crying baby. So, so congratulations for making it through. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Thank you for sitting with me. I oh, really my appreciate pleasure. That. And I will say the thing that Parks, the thing about a show like Parks is, of course, it changes things. You know, financially because you you're on, you know we did seven seasons. That's nice, but you have more um, more options afterwards. You know, I, I don't audition nearly as much as I used to because offers come in which is nothing better than an actor just being asked are you available that's those are my favorite phone calls uh so but yeah so parks was the game changer but thank you this was awesome yeah it's a lot of fun so much fun yeah thanks jim we did it we did it look at us (laughs) (laughs) this episode of the comics comic presents last things first was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.